You're listening to Comedy Central. January 23rd, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, our guest tonight is an artist whose work includes the official portrait of President Barack Obama. Kehinde Wiley is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, senators are walking off the job. The Constitution could be getting an upgrade and why your next date might end in handcuffs and not in the fun way. So let's catch up <laughs> on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with some international news. There's a big political scandal involving Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And you may remember that Trudeau just survived another scandal when he was busted for doing brownface 20 years ago at an Aladdin party. (laughs) But this time, my friends, Trudeau may have really gone too far. Some donut drama for Justin Trudeau. The only in Canada controversy started with the prime minister tweeting a photo of himself carrying boxes from the O Donuts shop in Winnipeg to help fuel a wintertime cabinet meeting. Some on social media praised Trudeau for supporting a local business. Others criticized him for buying about $200 worth of elitist donuts instead of hitting the local Tim Hortons at about a third of the price. Really, Canada? That's your scandal? Your prime minister brought the wrong donuts? If this shit pisses you off, you guys wouldn't last a day with Donald Trump. (laughs) Donuts? I can't even believe that's a thing. Uh, Let me tell you something now. If Trump had a donut scandal, he'd make it a real scandal. He'd be like, yes, I had sex with that donut. (laughs) But only because it promised me dirt on Joe Biden. Also, I love how some Canadians are upset because they say Trudeau didn't go to the local donut shop, Tim Hortons. That's what they said. They said, why did you go to this elitist place instead of the local Tim Hortons? Okay, there's nothing local about Tim Hortons, all right? (laughs) It's a giant corporation, right? When these people go to McDonald's, are they like, oh, anything I can do to help out my neighborhood clown? (laughs) I will say, though, Justin Trudeau should be a little careful with these donuts, yeah, because he could start eating a chocolate one, get a little bit of the frosting on his face. Yeah, and then go to wipe it off, and then it's everywhere, and then he's just like, I can show you the world. (laughs) All right, let's move on to some news from the world of tech. Tinder, it's the app that helps you find that special someone you could be with for the rest of your night. And now, (laughs) after years of getting people laid, Tinder is now trying to get people safe. Well, the popular dating app Tinder is unveiling new safety features today. They include a photo verification system, a panic button, and the ability to call authorities to their exact location. Tinder will use this technology as part of its safety features. Critics have complained that Tinder has not done enough in the past to screen out scammers and assault suspects. Yay, good job, Tinder. (laughs) Oh, seriously, anytime you can make dating more safe, that's something you should do. I just hope this feature isn't too Tindery. You know, if you can like call for help on Tinder, I hope it's like just help. I hope it's not like, I need help, send a cop. No, not him, no, not him. (laughs) No, not him. 
yeah, I guess he's okay, 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 okay. And I do think it's a good feature, but I know some people are gonna abuse it. You know, like, you know, Mike Pence would be hitting that panic button all the time. Just be like, help me. My woman date is wearing pants, come soon. <laughs> but now that Tinder and Uber both have panic buttons, I feel like every app should have them. You know, every app. Like if you're on Instagram and you accidentally like your ex's three month old photo, <laughs> you should be able to hit a button and then they send a team to help you start a new life. <laughs> All right, moving on. The World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland is wrapping up. And one of the stars of the event was climate activist Greta Thunberg, who blasted politicians for continuing to ignore global warming. But now, one of Trump's minions is firing back. U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin unleashes a verbal attack on teen climate activist Greta Thunberg. Both are at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. She said in a speech she wants businesses worldwide to stop investing in fossil fuels. Mnuchin told reporters considering her an economist is a joke and she needs to come back after she goes to college and gets an economics degree. Yeah, Steve Mnuchin. U.S. Treasury Secretary and skin-covered stapler says that uh, Greta should go to school before she comments on the global economy. That's what he said. Those were his words. Like, why don't you go to school, Greta, before you comment on the economy? And that doesn't make any sense because since when does the Trump administration listen to anyone with an education? That makes no difference. (laughs) Seriously, this is not a White House that cares about qualifications. Their education secretary has no education experience. (laughs) They put a sleepy doctor in charge of all urban housing. And the current head of the EPA was a coal lobbyist, right? Forget an environmental science degree. This dude probably can't even do basic bird watching. Uh, he wouldn't know the difference between a red-breasted mergensaw and a yellow-bellied sapsucker, you bird-ignorant mother <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud, Ivanka. Ivanka Trump is an advisor to the president. What is her expertise, huh? What is it? Is Trump in a meeting like, Ivanka, help us out. We have to decide whether or not to bomb Iran. You sold shitty jewelry unsuccessfully for 10 years. What do you think? (laughs) All right, and finally, if you are at the Los Angeles airport right now, waiting for your Uber, then you definitely have time to watch this next story. Now to the travel nightmare that is unfolding at airports, and it has nothing to do with planes. LAX recently rolled out a new pickup system which funnels taxi and rideshare passengers from the terminals to an external parking lot. Some passengers claim to have waited in line for upwards of three hours trying to catch their ride. The idea was to streamline the process. The result? Chaos. Okay, no, no. Three hours is way too long to wait for a ride. Forget the planes. People are just gonna start hijacking airport shuttles. Yeah, just gonna be like, we're all going to my hotel. Nobody try anything stupid. (laughs) What's interesting here is that the reason ride sharing apps are causing chaos at the airport was because it took forever for passengers to find their driver. That's why I think the solution should just be that you can just jump in any car and go. Yeah, not even any Uber, just any car. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's not your mom, but she's somebody's mom, okay? I drive with your mom, you drive with my mom, I'll drive with your uncle, okay, I don't wanna drive with your uncle, but you know what I mean, mom's mom's, and then we do that. And you know what the story shows us is that we've all gotten a little too attached to Uber. Because five years ago, there was no Uber picking you up at the airport. And people figured out other ways to leave the airport. Why can't we do that again, right? Like there's a city bus that stops at LAX. So just hop on that, take it to whatever shithole it goes to, and then call an Uber from there. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. Impeachment. It's like marriage story for democracy. 
And while Canadians are angry their prime minister bought fancy donuts, America's president is being accused of trying to rig an election. So let's catch up on the latest developments in another installment of The Magical Wonderful Road to Impeachment. <laughs> So, today was the third day of the impeachment trial of Donald Jemima Trump. (laughs) And Democrats continued to lay out a meticulous case that Trump abused his power and is now trying to cover it up. They've given floor speeches, they've shown video evidence, they even brought out the Constitution and had to tell everyone where Trump touched it. (laughs) But no matter how compelling the evidence might be, I have major doubts about whether it's gonna change anyone's mind. Because you see, a lot of these senators haven't exactly been glued to their seats. Many of the senators from both parties were MIA at different times, despite rules which require them to stay put. At one point during the evening session, 15 GOP senators' uh, seats were empty and 12 Democratic seats were empty. Cory Booker seen with his iPhone in the cloakroom. Senator Lindsey Graham was gone for, oh, at least an hour or so in the evening. Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, she left about an hour and a half early as well. Okay, this is not a good look, people. Senators are just leaving the room and then doing their own thing in the middle of an impeachment trial. You can't just walk away. This isn't a conversation with Ted Cruz. Because you understand, these senators are jurors in a trial against the president. You can't just go home early because you're bored. That's your job. Imagine if normal people tried to pull that shit in the middle of jury duty, huh? If someone was just like, oh, now I gotta hear from the victim's wife? Oh, I'm out of here. Text me if something cool happens. Like, you know what? If you didn't wanna be bored at work, you shouldn't have become a senator, okay? Yeah, you should have stuck with race car driving. Mitch McConnell. Yeah, but you didn't like what the wind did to your neck flaps. (laughs) And while American senators are looking for a way to get out of these proceedings, America's president is looking for a way to get in. The president seemed to relish the idea of crashing the impeachment trial and staring down Democrats himself. So what do you think? Will you show up at your trial any day in any way, shape, and form? So why don't you go? I don't know. I'd sort of love to sit right in the front row and stare at their corrupt faces. (laughs) You know, Trump, Trump is like that guy who always tells you what he'd do in a fight. He's like, oh man, if I saw that guy, I'd hit him with a left and duck and come in a wham, pow, boo. It's like, so you're gonna fight him then? Ooh, we'll see, but I'm busy, I'm busy. (laughs) I'm really busy. So yeah, Trump says he wishes he could be at that impeachment trial to look his accusers in the face. And I wish he would go to the impeachment trial too, because if he's locked up in a room for 12 hours at a time, he wouldn't have time to be doing things like this. A new rollback is expected to be announced today that could potentially put more pollution into our waters. The changes would scale back which waterways qualify for protection against pollution under the Clean Water Act. President Trump says this would benefit farmers who will no longer have to fear farming their federally protected creeks. However, government report shows real estate developers would see the most benefit. Oh, that's a weird coincidence. A new rollback on water protections will benefit real estate developers. And it was passed by a real estate developer who hasn't drank water since the 70s. What are the odds? <laughs> why, do I feel like, why do I feel like all of Trump's policies are just really him trying to help himself, right? Like, I wouldn't be shocked if we find out the real reason Trump killed Soleimani 
was because he gave Trump's hotel one star on Yelp. <laughs> like, I wouldn't be shocked. Because this is, it's insane. It's an insane policy. The world is gonna be flooded, and Trump is like, wait, wait, poison the water first. I wanna make this the best apocalypse of all time. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, maybe we do need a little more pollution, yeah? Because let's be honest, there has been a little too much clean water, yeah? I mean, like the other day, I went for a swim in the Hudson, my skin barely burned. That's not why I moved here. <laughs> so yeah, senators are playing hooky during impeachment, and Trump is destroying the environment. But hey, at least he didn't buy donuts. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. Almost everyone knows one of the hardest things to do in America is pass an amendment to the Constitution. It's harder than shooting a porno on the Amtrak quiet car. Because you see, in order to be added to the Constitution, the amendment needs to pass in the House, needs to pass in the Senate, and be ratified by 38 states. And how can you get 38 states to agree on anything? I mean, think about it. You can't even get states to agree on potato salad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you show up to an Atlanta cookout with raisins, the only thing getting barbecued is your ass. <laughs> in fact, it's so tough to get through this crazy process that it's been 30 years since the Constitution has been amended. But this week, Virginia may have gotten America one step closer to a new amendment. USA Today reports Virginia became the 38th state to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment was first introduced to Congress in 1923. It took 49 sessions to finally get it passed in 1972. The ERA, as it's known, reads, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Wow, women are now equal in America. <laughs> Also, also, wow, women are now equal in America? Because, <laughs> I mean, that statement sounds good, but it doesn't make you feel good. It would be like if Popeyes came out saying, great news, from now on, our chicken sandwich is 100% real chicken. <laughs> and you'd be like, wait, what was I eating before? <laughs> don't ask, don't ask. Shut up, get in the box. <laughs> but don't get too excited just yet, because it turns out that amendments are like avocados. They only last for so long. Is it too late for the Equal Rights Amendment to become law? The Office of Legal Counsel says it's simply too late for the ERA, pointing out the deadline was in 1982. Five states that ratified the ERA decades ago have since rescinded those votes. We have word that there will certainly be court challenges. Whether or not it holds it up or not is the question. Okay, no, I'm sorry, hold on. So they've been trying to pass this Equal Rights Act for women since the 1920s. They finally get enough states, but now it may not count because they missed some arbitrary deadline. Who, who puts a deadline on women's rights, huh? Who's this, like, Cinderella's fairy godmother? Huh? Yeah, because she was an asshole with her rules. Be home by midnight or you'll die alone. It's like, what the hell, grandma? I'm trying to smash a prince. And you're gonna turn my carriage into a pumpkin? What if I'm doing 50 on the freeway? You're gonna kill me. <laughs> this is some bippity-boppity bullshit. Because <laughs> really, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Just because the law is a little bit late doesn't mean the whole thing has to be scrapped. Like, if you're late for a movie, they don't lock you out of the theater. They let you come in 
And then your punishment is that you just have to figure out the plot for yourself. Yeah, just be like, why do they look like that? Did a human and a cat have sex? What is this about? <laughs> but still, as a woman in America, this must be really depressing. To wait 100 years to officially have equal rights and then watch it all slip away. I guess the best person to ask would be an actual woman. So please, give it up for Desi Lydic, everybody. <laughs> What's going on, Debbie? Trevor, this is so frustrating. After a century of teasing, they bring us to the point of ratification and then say it's not the right time? I guess women finally know what it's like to have blue balls. Yeah, Desi, I, I can totally understand your frustration. What I don't understand is why are you black and white? Well, I could ask you the same question, Trevor, but I won't. I won't because it's racist. No, no, Desi, I mean, I mean, why are you in black and white? Like, you, you look like you're in the 1920s. Because, Trevor, I feel like I'm in the 1920s. Women don't have equality. Nazis are back in the news. I've even got a case of the measles. And yeah, maybe it's because I'm on an anti-vaxxer dating site, but what can I say? I like the bad boys. <laughs> no, no, Desi, Desi, come on. I, I know men and women are still not on a level playing field, but, but you don't have to be in the 1920s. It's fine, Trevor. I'm actually over the moon about living in the 1920s style. The glitz, the glam, all that jazz. I'm even learning the Charleston. Hey, do the Charleston, all right? <laughs> Desi, that's, that's not the Charleston. No, I think it is. I, I, I don't think it is. And yes, yes, America's moving slowly toward equality, but, but I don't think that's any reason to give up, Desi. Care anymore, Trevor. It's too depressing. Even female amendments get ignored after they turn 35. <laughs> I don't care if it is prohibition. This gal needs a drink. No, Desi, don't drink out of a shoe. What are you doing? Oh, relax, Trevor. It's not my shoe. <laughs> now, if you excuse me, a man named Gatsby moved in down the block, and something tells me he's legit. <laughs> Desi Lydic, everyone. We'll be right back. The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a world-renowned visual artist, best known for his portrait of President Barack Obama. Please welcome Kehinde Wiley. Welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you, good to be here. And uh, congratulations on what I can only assume must feel like a whirlwind ride. It has been quite the ride indeed. You, you, you've been an artist for a very long time, but, but you can't deny getting to create the official portrait for the first black president of the United States was one of the highlights of your life, I'm assuming. I'm assuming it's probably going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> I have to say that being the first African-American artist to paint the portrait of the first African-American uh, is quite the honor as well. I can imagine. Uh, and then the question is, how do you make that something that is vibrant? How do you make painting alive in the 21st century? Right. Those are big challenges. There must be a lot of pressure that comes with painting those, those portraits as well, because it, it's not just a portrait for Obama. That's, that's a portrait that's supposed to live throughout time. That's right, that's right. In fact, what you have is a situation where it's like no pressure or anything, but this is history. And <laughs> what we wanted was something that played into all the rules around dignity and respect and right, power. Right. 
but also a portrait that communicated who Obama is. You know, he, he really wanted a portrait that didn't have all that sort of pomp and circumstance. If you look at the portrait closely, he's leaning in towards the viewer. Uh, he's dressed rather casually for a presidential portrait. And there's a, there's a bunch of flowers and leaves behind him. Right, there are a bunch, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which people had never seen before in a portrait. I, I remember right. when it came out, there right. were a lot of people making jokes where they're like, we've never seen this many leaves. And it, like, it felt more... It felt less like it was just about the subject and more right. about the subject in the world they were in well, than ever before. Certainly, certainly. And, and the memes were everywhere. I remember seeing Bart Simpson coming out of the... Uh, <laughs> coming out of the oh, leaves. the Homer Simpson in the bushes? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> but what, what few people don't realize is that those flowers are telling a story about his life. So there are flowers from Kenya. There are flowers from Indonesia. There's the state flower of Hawaii. Oh, There's wow. the, and so it really charts his life globally as a means of saying this man is at once very American, but engaging in a global conversation. That's beautiful. Yeah. That is really beautiful. What did he say when he saw the portraits? I think, oh, Jesus, I can't quite remember because we were all on stage. The first time he saw the portrait was that moment where we were pulling down... That's uh, a lot of pressure. Oh, my God. No, I mean, like, that's... I would, like, show it to him beforehand and be like, what do you... Because, I mean, like, what if you pull down the thing? And then he's like, uh... uh. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you stressed at that moment? I was stressed more than you can imagine. But what, when I get stressed, I kind of just kind of... Pretend to be very composed. Right. My hands are shaking. Everything's sort of moving in slow motion. And I've just sat there and took it all in. And since then, you have been on a journey that, that, that has really been beautiful to watch. Because, you know, people have noticed your art. And, and your art is, is art that I feel needs to be noticed. Because you do something that's really interesting. You know, you, you, you create art that we're familiar with in an unfamiliar way. Mm. One, of the, one of the more interesting pieces that you created was Rumors of War. Now, I hope some people saw it when it was in New York City, right? right? And, and it, it's, a, it's a beautiful, I mean, statue that's... I mean, it's a Confederate statue in its style, and yet you come up close and you see this young black man who's wearing Jordans and he's got jeans on and he's got a hoodie, and he's riding this horse in a way that we associate with Confederate statues. What, what was the symbolism and why did you choose to create that piece? Right, I mean, Confederate sculptures have been haunting and terrorizing Americans for, uh, what, a good 50, 60 years now. Most people think these things go back to slavery, they don't. They actually go back to uh, as late as the 1930s and 50s. Wow. The, these sculptures were designed to remind African Americans of their place in society. And they're still in major parts of the South. I went to Richmond on a trip and I saw one of these sculptures and I said, you know what, this is a language that's powerful. Right. And it's one that I want to be able to use to sort of inhabit it, to haunt it. And so I found several African-American men, merged all of their features, created this kind of everyman on a horse and recreated those monuments for the 21st century to right. create sort of a new way of saying yes to people who happen to look like me. It is, it, it, it is really beautiful in how it does that because I remember going to Times Square when it was here because I, it, it's now moved to Virginia. Right. But, but I remember standing there and I was shocked at how many people were coming up and just pointing. Little kids were going like, look, look, that hair, like, you know, it's got dreadlocks right. like me right. and, you know, it's got this. And it, it, it really was a touching moment that people take for granted where people saw art that represented themselves, which right. some haven't seen for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, that's the power of art. We all go to museums and we all feel inspired by these images of dignity and grace. And it means something when young African-American kids 
uh, can go into a museum and see someone who looks like themselves, it, it gives a sense of I belong to the conversation around power. Right. Who has it? Who's, a, who's allowed to inherit that, that dignity? You have a piece that is now going to be um, on display, and this is really interesting. It's called Napoleon Leading the Army Over the Alps. Yeah. And that, that piece is really gorgeous because it, it was designed to mimic the original Napoleon piece, right, right? right? But but again, you've changed it to be something different, something, and it's going to be hanging up right next to the, the Napoleon piece in Brooklyn. It is a bizarre situation where we're actually dealing with a historical conversation. I'm borrowing the same pose from right. a painting that was made by David during the time of Napoleon, and now I've got a young black man in uh, in jeans. Excuse me, he's wearing a, a camouflage, right, and Tim's and he's embodying that sense of Brooklyn bravado, but within the language of uh, great European paintings. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to do was to be able to have the original historical object and my object in the same room. And the Brooklyn Museum said yes. So now we have an opportunity for the first time to have this temporal shift, this right, rift, right, right. this ability to look at not just some guy who's playing with history, but the object from the past in the same room. It's, it's, a, it's a great honor. One thing you've been commended for, and, and it really is special to see, is how you portray women in your art as well. You have beautiful portraits of women, black women who have natural hair, but they also, they're, they're in regal positions that we associate with, you know, like the British Empire, monarchies sure. wearing armor. You have, you have women who, you know, it's pictures that we associate with, with, with masters, right. as opposed to those that have, that, that have been enslaved. And, and these women are, are grand in a, in a very different way than, right. than we're used to seeing. Why do you choose to do that? What, like, what is the purpose behind that? Well, artists paint what they're familiar with. I paint what I've known, and what I've known are powerful black women who've given me a sense of self-worth, a sense of dignity, and that is what you see mirrored in my work. And sure, there's a little bit of play that goes on. There's a play with like how silly the, the clothing looked back in you know, 500 years ago. Right, right, painting. right. The same thing's gonna happen now. I mean, this, this, the, the contemporary clothes that the women wear in my paintings is gonna start looking really silly, just like those silly uh, neck things that are in all those old Dutch paintings. Oh, yes, yes, those right? things. I think right? they were to catch breadcrumbs or something. Yeah, I remember those, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you can imagine that in 300 years, this stuff decays. It's just gonna become a blend in time, I feel like. Well, we all uh, decay, we all leave this earth, but these paintings will be here for centuries. And what I wanna be able to do is to say yes to people who look like me, yes to moments of grace and small things that we oftentimes ignore, and to make us all feel as though we were there for something that mattered. I think you do an amazing job of that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Kehinde's exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum opens January 24th, and his show in London opens February 21st. Kehinde Wiley, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.